Thank you so much for listening to Honestly Unorthodox. If you've ever thought about starting your own podcast, but just don't know where to start, have no fear. Pretty Easy Podcast is here to get your podcast off the ground and sounding great at an extremely affordable rate. Pretty Easy Podcast helps new and seasoned podcasters by providing production, editing, and podcast management assistance. With Pretty Easy Podcasts, you can focus on your show's content while having a reliable tag team partner handle any and all of the technical aspects of podcasting to help your show sound great. As someone who clearly loves to hear themselves speak, I am completely uninterested in learning all of the mechanics of the technicalities of podcasting, the editing, and even the uploading of certain digital material that's needed to make this podcast sound as great as it does. And Pretty Easy Podcast has taken care of all of that for me, and they continue to indulge my love for getting all of this information out to you without any stress and any concern. You can go to prettyeasypodcast.com and get started today. Working with Alan and Melissa really has helped me avoid these roadblocks that so many podcasters run into with the recording, the editing, the feed management. Whether you're new to it or you already have a show, going to prettyeasypodcast.com really makes podcasting just that. Pretty easy. And now, let's get to the show. He who fights monsters should look to it that he himself does not become a monster. I am on the unfettered pursuit of truth. I'm Kayla Perry, and this is Honestly Unorthodox. Welcome back to this week's episode of Honestly Unorthodox. We were inspired by an episode from Barry Weiss about grief and how people handle grieving the loss of a loved one. I've been very open about losing my brother to fentanyl and a drug overdose and how my family has handled it. And with me today, I have Kate with a similar experience. And I also have Dylan, who stood beside me and helped me through the entire loss of my brother. So Kate and Dylan, welcome to Honestly Unorthodox. Thank you. Good morning. Don't mind my super raspy voice today. I like it, Kate. It brings a nice edginess to, uh, I, you know, I, I always liked when I was sick. I actually liked my voice better when I was sick. It made me sound cooler. It is a little <laughs> bit telephone voice, you know. So. It's very radio-esque. We'll and go well, with now, it. Very podcast-esque. We'll go with it. Yeah. Especially for the grittiness of today's topic, which, you know, I'm actually surprised that not many people talk. Well, maybe I'm just not really in the in the space of grief, but I feel like not many people talk about this stuff because they're focused on more political culture war-y type of things. I mean, full disclosure, this is certainly not an area where I have anything other than um, good old fashioned personal experience. <laughs> There's I bring, lived experience. Lived experience. Yeah. I bring zero clinical knowledge whatsoever to this space. I've just had a lot of people close to me die. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, what's so interesting is that I feel you and me aren't necessarily that old of millennials, but I feel like I've, I've worked with so many people and been around so many people that have never experienced the death of a loved one outside of the very natural, maybe the grandparent turning, you know, 97 or something like that. And in 
Barry Weiss's episode, she she had a guest on who lost both of his teenage kids um, in, in a car accident. They both died on impact. And he wrote a book essentially saying that our culture goes about grief completely wrong. And we tend to try to avoid the topic. We don't know what to say to people. So we find ourselves saying things like, there just aren't words to express how badly I feel, or I'm sorry for your loss. And the author says that's completely wrong. What do you think about that? I mean, I don't think there can possibly be a right or wrong. I don't either. I mean, I I feel like I understand the sentiment maybe because when I listened to the episode, it was very endearing. He's a wonderful speaker. It's just a terrible story. And he mentioned that, yes, he's not necessarily trying to shame people or condemn people. So if you did say something like there are just no words for this, he's not saying that that necessarily makes one a bad or inconsiderate person. But he says that it is a conversation killer and that when you say that you're expressing your own discomfort with talking about the loss, whereas we should be asking people who have lost loved ones more about the person that they lost. And I'm just I don't know. I part of me thinks that some people really want to talk about people they love that have died but then there's people like me and my family. I still haven't figured out how to bring up Connor to my parents. So. Yeah, I know one thing for me that's always a little awkward is when people ask me if I have siblings. Yeah. Um, and I never want to say, you know, I never want to leave my brother out of that. I have a sister as well. Um, mm-hmm. And I always feel a little weird because I don't want to say I have a sister and not say I have a brother because that's mm-hmm. would be a lie. But then I immediately always have to follow it up with, well, my brother passed away. Right. And then that's always followed with, oh, no, what happened? And then I have to tell them that he committed suicide. And, you know, then the person who asked in the first place feels terribly awkward. I don't feel awkward about it. I would feel more awkward Mm -hmm. if I said nothing. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting, actually, because I've been in very similar situations where people, oh, you you had a brother, people especially react really strongly. Oh, my God, you guys were twins. That's especially awful. I don't know if it's especially awful or any more or less terrible than losing a sibling altogether. But I have actually found myself lying to people more so. I don't know. I don't know if it's because I don't want to talk about it. I don't know if it's because I don't want to make the conversation awkward. Um especially if I know it's going to be this transient conversation, almost in passing, I don't necessarily feel like I want to get into, you know, I had a twin brother. He died of a fentanyl overdose, but yeah, I'm great. Winter break was wonderful. Thank you for asking. (laughs) I just, and so I guess to that degree, I don't know. Am I adding to this idea that the the culture can't handle grief? I'm, I'm still kind of, tangled up in that I guess yeah no I've definitely found myself self at times doing that too like if it's just going to be a kind of passing conversation sometimes I'll kind of avoid it but um Mm -hmm. and you know just say oh you know I have a sister older sister whatever and let it kind of pass by um yeah I think no one grows up learning how to talk to other people about death it's kind of something we avoid I think obviously, mm-hmm. because it's, so, it can be really painful for people. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, 
it's rare in a sense that like you said it's kind of like as you're growing up it tends to be like a grandparent who passes away right not that many natural yeah not that many people experience kind of like a tragic um death of like Mm -hmm. a family member or a friend it's a little bit more rare i think um maybe not so much for our generation i feel like we had a lot of um i want to say i had five classmates in my graduating class who passed away either while we were in school or shortly after graduation um Mm -hmm. and primarily those were either car accidents or Mm -hmm. um or overdoses due to the opioid epidemic yeah yeah what's interesting is you're just a a few years older than me mine while there were only a, a one or two car accidents so those would be something pretty tragic and unnatural and not necessarily you know by the virtue of one's own actions most of the kids that died in my graduating class and others were by committing suicide and i just thought that was awful and not only did i mean these these kids were my age and younger than me and they were committing suicide in in ways that I would consider absolutely awful. I mean, I I cannot fathom what it would take to hang oneself, for example. And that was the method that a lot of these kids were going about suicide at the time. And the ones that, that did, like you said, there were a few overdoses because kids were getting really heavy into things beyond just weed at that point. Um, but Dylan, you've been alive on this earth quite a bit longer than, <laughs> than me and Kate. Were you taught by your parents how to talk about death? Um, no, it was never discussed. It was always observed. Um, as far as, um, th- being respectful obviously if you go to a funeral or a wake or you know whatever it is within a culture um we were taught to respond and act a certain way with dignity um you know there wasn't a lot of wailing Mm -hmm. um there wasn't a lot of crying oh my gosh i can't believe this happened it's just like just i was raised and we were taught like this is part of life and i only lost grandparents so i don't know what it's like to lose a sibling so, yeah. um, yeah, I think it was, it was more of like, listen, you, you need to show some dignity and to cry and to like be overwhelmed with emotion. Yeah. I wasn't raised that way. Do you think that showing the outward expression of that type of emotion is, can still be dignified? Yeah, absolutely. I just was not, I wasn't in that situation until um, a certain relationship where the with culture was involved and the sky was falling, you know, even after mm-hmm. um, a person was terminally ill for many years. And then yeah. when they finally passed, it was like people were within the culture. Like, I can't believe this happened. And it was like, they wanted to, you know, jump into the, jump into the grave. grave yeah. Like, yeah. There are, are some kidding? religions like, are where they're, yeah. Yeah. And so that's something, Kate, you and me have talked about, which we'll get to a little bit later, but just really briefly, you and me have both had similar experiences where, you know, you mentioned this, you worded this really perfectly. You said, you know, my brother had kind of been dead for a while. Um, and I've written about, you know, my, me and my family were mourning the loss of Connor before he even died because it's just, 
when you're a fentanyl and a heroin addict and you go down that path, you just kind of almost have to brace yourself for not if something happens, but when something happens, especially looking at his track record. I mean, the longest amount of time that Connor was able to stay sober was four months. So, and, and that four month stint after that, there was, there were no periods of being sober unless he was in jail, which he was at here um, for over a year and it's just it's just a terrible thing for a family to have to to prepare themselves for. So, let's rewind a little bit, Kate, with your with your upbringing. So, you have a sister and you had a brother. How old are you and how old was your brother when he passed? Let's see. So, I'm 35 now, um and he passed in 2009. Okay. So, 14 years ago. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So he would have been, I believe he was actually 30, um, given okay. where his birthday falls. Got it. So he was 30. How old is your sister? Uh, she is 12 years older than me. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that there was such a big gap between your brother, your sister, and you. Yeah. So they're actually only half siblings, which I didn't find out until I was in middle school. Oh, which is like a whole other interesting, a whole other can of worms. They're wow. half siblings. How did did it come about accidentally, or was it like a planned thing? To we need apparently, to tell Kate what the deal. No, is. apparently everyone thought I knew. <laughs> they just assumed that little Kate had all the answers. Yeah, huh? yeah. Apparently they just—I uh, don't know. I don't know why I didn't put it together, like in retrospect. But I just didn't like my brother and sister had cousins that like weren't my cousins. But I was like. Well, whatever. Maybe they were just like family friends from their childhood or whatever. Yeah. Um, and actually, my brother was the one who who blew it up. He was like, "Oh, I have to, you know, whatever. You know, I work, I work with my cousin." And I'm like, "What are you talking about?" And he's like, <laughs> "He's like, you know, we have different dads, right?" And I was like, "No." You're like, do we? Yeah. I was, <laughs> I was very upset. I felt like I had been lied to for a very long time. I was like devastated. I bet. Because my, my, my father had adopted them when they were very young. They were only, oh. I want to say, like, four and six, something like that. And so they had his last yeah, name my entire life. Um, mm-hmm. They all obviously always lived with us. Their father uh, had committed suicide. So he was not ever oh. known to me or, um, you know, there was no reason for me to, like, ever know that there was this family that was before I existed, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, this is obviously an entirely different topic now, for an entirely <laughs> different topic. but it really makes you wonder the, if there is any sort of heritability to things like suicidal ideation and a, you know, the, I guess, propensity to follow through with suicide addiction, all of those things. But Dylan, you had questions for Kate. I think you were looking at me. It's okay oh, if you don't. Oh, well, what's your what was your brother's name? Gary. 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 Oh wow. Okay. And he was your half brother. Yes. Okay. Okay. I'm, yeah, I'm putting a lineage together myself. I have my little. Dylan's post. a family tree guy. He's yeah. he's right. You could see all these you know left and right angles on his post-it yeah. in front. Yeah. Of I don't. I don't write straight, and sometimes I don't think straight. But it's interesting because I, I think. Mo- I, well, I'm, I'm sure a lot of your audience knows Kayla, but 
I was adopted. Um, and I always knew, um, it wasn't like when you found out like, Hey, these are half brothers and sisters. I, I, you know, I, I always knew I was adopted. Um, but it's interesting because I think the look on Kayla's face, when you just mentioned that her eyes went huge, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like Dory from uh, I just thought, I just thought it was so <laughs> interesting. I don't know, Kate. For some reason, you I don't know why. This is just this is just another thing that I think humans do when we kind of create these ideas of who people are and aren't. And it certainly doesn't mean anything about how no. I see you. I mean, I, I will always think that you are cool as shit for the rest of my life. I just I find that so interesting. I would have never imagined you having step siblings for half. some reason. Half siblings, not step. Half siblings, just based on the way you've told me you've brought you've been brought up and things like that. So I just I find that so well, interesting. Well, I was just as shocked as you are. Yeah. I can imagine. <laughs> I found out a couple of years ago I have like thirteen half brothers and sisters. Oh yeah, they're sprinkled across the country. Yeah. See, I can't, I can't imagine that feeling either. I've always told myself I wasn't sure how I would respond if I ever found out that I had a half or a step sibling. Would I, would I be inclined to reach out to them, or would I just want to keep that book or that relationship closed? I always lean more towards wanting to keep things closed. I don't necessarily ever feel like I want to make all of these connections just because there's some blood. Uh, bloodline i don't know i'm kind of weird in that way dylan's the direct opposite dylan is like anybody that has a drop of hanksler blood i want to <laughs> i want to meet them and take them out to dinner well that, i'm not a hanksler actually okay yeah you're a, a you're a delgado a biological <laughs> delgado um but kate we're gonna i want to ask some questions about about gary so leading up to his really tragic suicide. You, we had mentioned again that he had kind of quote unquote died already, whether that means spiritually, emotionally, what have you, how long were, was he struggling for you think? Oh God. Um, probably as long as I can remember. Um, let's see. He was 10 years old when I was born and I want to say by the time I was five or six, he was already kind of, you know, doing regular teenage dabbling. Um, And by the time I was in middle school, he had already been, he had already done some, some jail time um, in and out of rehabs. Um, He had moved across the country 10 years prior to, um, to his suicide. So I had not seen him face to face in, in almost, I believe it was almost 10 years. Um, oh, wow. um, no, I take that back. That math's not mathing. Um, <laughs> maybe more like five years. He had, it, it which was still a considerable yeah, amount it of time. had been, it had been years since he had moved, moved across the country. Um, and so, and he had never come home after that. He didn't come home, you know, for holidays or Christmas or anything. Um, mm-hmm. And so not only had, you know, he had all these struggles with uh, substance abuse over the years where it was kind of like, you know, we all knew eventually you're either going to end up dead or back in jail. Um, but yeah. we had also physically not seen him in, in many years. So yeah, um, when he did 
when he did pass, um, I looked at my mom and I said, you know, yes, this is shocking. Like it's shocking news to hear, but I don't, right. but it's certainly not surprising. Yeah. Yeah. The, the impact of hearing it, there's, I feel like there's no amount of preparation that could possibly brace you for hearing the news, even though you and me know that you prepare for this sort of thing for years and years and years at a time. But I'm interested about him moving. He moved across the country. Where did he move to? Vegas, baby. Vegas. Oof. Was this, I'm assuming this was kind of an intentional move away from family or was it just. He initially had a girlfriend and I think her family was out there. Um, They were actually in Oregon first. Um, And then Vegas, that relationship didn't pan out. And then um, there was another, you know, he got into another relatively long-term relationship um, and they lived, they lived in Vegas. Hmm. It's hard. Well, no, I retract that. I don't know that it's harder. I think it's different when, cause Connor, we, I could say he moved to Florida, but he was kind of forced to move to Florida. He was just involved in a lot of the, uh, just really dangerous gangs here in the South side of Chicago. So he was really in the thick of gang activity since, and we had come to find out that it was since he was 14 or 15 years old. And we only found out only a couple of years before he died, he was 26. And so him being in Florida for, I want to say three or four years before he died, it almost felt for a very long time like he was just away, like as if he hadn't actually died. And I'm wondering if you felt a similar a similar sense when Gary passed. Yeah, I, I, I'm not really sure. I mean, I know in the few years leading up to him um, passing, you know, MySpace was a thing, right? That was like how you communicated with people. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he didn't have a college email, so he couldn't be on Facebook. Um, and, you know, we yeah. had a brief, uh, I don't want to say we always had like a close relationship, but with his substance abuse and growing up, my parents really tried to kind of shelter me from him mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Um, but we definitely had our, our, you know, years and times where we were closer than others. And um, we would kind of send each other messages um, back and forth on MySpace. And even though he was away and I hadn't seen him face to face, that was, you know, one of the times that we actually felt like we had a relationship. Um, yeah. And once he actually died, you know, I was, it's funny. I was pulling up the uh, five, five steps of grief or whatever. I was like, Oh, I wonder if I actually, did yeah. I go through these? I'm not really sure. Um, but yeah. there was definitely a, a moment of denial. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that kind of goes hand in hand with like the, well, he's just away, right? He's still just away. Um, right. He was set to go back to prison um, within mm-hmm. the month. Um, and when my mom got his death certificate, the handwriting on the death certificate looked a lot like his handwriting. Um, huh. And I had this like outside, you know, like stupid tell yourself things. I was like, he he faked his own death so he didn't have to go back to prison yeah um yeah because we never got to see we never saw his body you know my mom um when he um you know when she got the news or whatever 
you know, obviously it's her child. She had that moment of, oh my God, I have to get on an airplane. I have to go see him. Um, and for whatever reason, she didn't probably because there probably wasn't much to see. I mean, he um, mm. had gunshot, you know, wound to his head. So I, I don't mm. think that was, yeah. I think everyone convinced her that wasn't how she wanted to, to remember him. Um, but yeah, yeah, we never, we never saw him until um, his girlfriend at the time flew us um some of his ashes but that's the only you know proof that we that we have wow it's so interesting i i don't know so at the time of his death you would say that he was pretty heavy into addiction or no um i'm gonna guess yes or you know was it 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 was hard for me to know our communication wasn't great i think he had um, he had called at Christmas time and I was home, mm-hmm. um, but mm-hmm. I had just gotten back from um, a semester abroad and he didn't realize that I was home. And so he, you know, in talking to my mom or whatever, never asked to talk to me, which was, you know, not super uncharacteristic. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that time seemed like he was, you know, doing, you know, well, Um but again, he was he was set to go back to prison. So how well can you really be doing? Yeah, I, I yeah, I ask only because Connor was similar. He was set to go back to jail too, um, in in Florida. We still don't exactly know why. I mean, there were just so many things that he kept from us. He was very he was very motivated to protect us. So Connor never wanted to share things that he knew would hurt our feelings, especially me and my mom. So there were just so many things that we only came to, to learn after he had already died. And my dad, actually, we were at the crematory. So we actually went, we, we went to go see Connor. I mean, we saw his body right before he got cremated. I can't, at first, you know, my parents were too distraught to make all of the arrangements themselves. So I called the crematory and did everything in terms of his arrangements after his death. And initially the, the owner of the crematory said, will you be coming with your parents? And my first knee jerk reaction was, no, I'm not coming. And he said, um, I hope I'm not stepping on any toes, but this is going to be absolutely brutal for them. So I think, I really think you should be there. And that was, God, that broke my heart to hear that. If, if he hadn't said that, I still, I think, I don't know that I would have mustered up enough courage to go. Honestly. Dylan, you're shaking your head. Why? You would have went. You think so? Why? Yeah. Because I remember when you told me, I remember exactly where I was. And I was driving to the bank in Arlington Heights. And you called me. And it was weird at that time because I knew that you were working. And you said, Connor died. And everything leading up to that, I remember how I felt, what I had um, thought was going to happen to me once you, once this came true, because you always told me like, this is inevitable. Yeah. Connor is going down this route. It's not going to end up good. Mm -hmm. Um, And it finally happened. I had to pull over. My heart sank because now it was like, wow, how are you going to handle this? Yeah. Because your parents... your dad called you. Mm-hmm. Your mom didn't even know. I had to tell her. And you her. had to call your mom. And I'm yeah. like, oh my God. I'm like, and I, and I stayed parked there. And then you called your mom. And I'm like, oh my God, how the fuck is this? How is this going to happen? Yeah. I was, I was frozen because yeah. I was so concerned about how you were going to handle this. Yeah. Or handle that. And you did well. 
because yeah. you're really good at that. <laughs> Very good at what? Just disconnecting for a little bit. Kate, because you weren't that close to Gary, and do you think you lost or missed out on anything? Or maybe your parents, do you think any of you guys missed out on anything not seeing him? I guess not seeing his body. I don't know. I think that that's definitely a typical part of our culture and how we mm-hmm. tend to, as a society, like that's a thing, you know, people not everyone has like an open casket viewing, but like that is pretty common. I feel like most families do aim yeah. for that, you know, as long as um, it's able to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people like to use that word closure, I guess. Um, right. Yeah. Whatever, yeah, that, whatever means that means. People, right. Um, <laughs> I personally don't. Um, it's not something I've ever given a lot of thought to. Um, I can't speak for you know, my parents or especially my sister who I think had the most mm-hmm. difficulty dealing with um, his death, but I don't feel like it was a necessary part of, you know, coming to terms with his death. Yeah. Other than the, the very, you know, flash of a pan thought that he might've faked it. I, 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 I imagine that, you know, with or without seeing him, it is what it is because a lot of people don't, I mean, as much as I hate to use the word privilege or luxury, a lot of people are in situations where they don't get to see the body of their loved ones. And for parents, a lot of them don't get to see the body of their children and they just kind of have to come to terms with it. So that's just, that's an awful, an awful reality to have to live after Gary died. How did, how did your parents handle, handle it? Um, I don't remember there being much handling, if that makes sense. Um, It took a while for his girlfriend at the time to, I want to say it was, I mean, it was months, six months, Mm -hmm. seven months before she flew his ashes um, here. Um, Wow. Why the delay? um, I'm honestly not sure. (laughs) That that situation is a whole... (laughs) another like podcast episode in, in itself. <laughs> um, yeah. But, you know, I remember us kind of like laying around for a few days. Um, I remember my, you know, us all having moments of, you know, crying or, you know, telling stories about him or whatever. And, um, but there was no traditional funeral arrangements made. So that wasn't anything that we kind of went through. Um, Mm-hmm. they did purchase like a plot for him. Um, there's a river that runs by the house that we grew up in. And there's a cemetery that overlooks that river and they, um, mm-hmm. which he loved. He loved to kayak. He loved to go, you know, catch frogs and snakes and do, you know, typical boy stuff down there. And so they yeah. purchased a plot um, that overlooked the river. Um, but he doesn't have a traditional headstone or anything. They just found like a, quartz um rock that they placed there and we spread some of his ashes there and that was kind of it there was no um celebration of life ceremony there was no nothing yeah. um, religious he he identified yeah. with native american um you know religion spirituality the most so i think we kind of tried to you know in some ways honor that in the sense that there was no there was no 
priests. There was no church service, etc. Yeah. Yeah. Is that typical? Is that how your family tends to handle death as a whole? Or was that just kind of specific to Gary? I'd say that was specific to him. I mean, when my grandmother passed, we did the, you know, traditional um, church ceremony with the funeral. And then the, you know, everyone gathers and has some sort of pasta dinner or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, you go to some sort of reception hall and then you pay your respects and then you all eat together. I always kind of found that interesting. I, I, I don't, yeah, I don't know. You see a side of people, the people that were closest to the one that died, you almost see this separation, not necessarily from reality as if it's a psychotic break, but maybe it's just the comfort of having people around and being able to forget in these little small pockets of time that the person's actually gone. But I have experienced similar things when I've gone to funerals is in those moments when you're all gathered and you're eating and you're together, whether that be sharing stories about the person who had died or not, everyone almost seems to forget the reason why they're yeah, there. Yeah, it's like a little mini alternate universe. Yes, it's very Although odd. people do tend to uh, drink a lot at those things or smoke a ton of cigarettes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's very stereotypical. The way that it's portrayed in movies is pretty accurate pretty close to real life. Yeah. I've never been to a funeral where people are drinking and and smoking cigarettes. Okay. So Dylan, you've been to Greek Orthodox funerals and my own and your own. How are they similar and how are they different from what to each other? Oh, to each other. Well, I think culture plays a big part in how we, how a culture grieves, um, that death is, oh my gosh, it's terrible, but you know, you can't receive whatever God has in store for you until you die. So to me, that just doesn't make any sense. But um, like I mentioned before, it's like dignity, like, okay, well, you know what, this is, um, and I never had anybody like, you know, like taken away um, friends, family that just were like taken away. Like a more tragic type of, okay. I can't imagine what that's like. So I can't possibly fathom what that feels like. So it was always kind of like, okay, this is the natural causes of death. And you, you know, you kind of contend with it. Uh, The difference is how you were raised, you know, and I was raised that, okay, you know, you get to a certain age and, you know, you pass on and that's just part of life. Life is death. And, you know, yeah. there's always, you know, as soon as we're yeah. conceived, you know, we're, we're headed towards the, the exit sign. <laughs> the I mean, like, that's it. Like, yeah. I mean, that's it. And it's what you do in the middle. I guess that's how I was raised. What you do in the middle or between that time frame is what makes the difference. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. I mean, I miss people that I've, that I've lost, but so I have a question for you, Kayla. Okay. And Kate. Did- I'm curious to know like how you both feel, like how close you were to your brother or to Gary. Yeah. That's all right. Mm-hmm. How close do you think you were with Connor? I feel like I would like to think that we were really close. And 
you always hear that twins have this special dynamic and this special relationship and they have some sort of bond that's different from other siblings. I don't have any other siblings, so I would have no idea. But we were very close. And Connor, and I write about this so frequently, is there are times when I just sorely miss him because he is the go-to person if you want to say something and be completely unjudged for it. I mean, if you want to tell him that you murdered someone and did something absolutely disgusting and heinous, he would not bat a single eye. So it was always really nice to have someone like that as a listening ear. But he was so just deep in his addiction. He was high all of the time. And he stole so much money from our family. It's just very hard to feel close to someone that does that to you, even though you know that they're kind of a different quote, quote unquote, different person. It's not really them. It's their addiction. It's still just, it's really sad to try to build a relationship off of that. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. Kate, were you close with Gary? So it's a tough question. I think, um, first of all, our age difference is a big factor. I ring 10 years apart. Um, Mm -hmm. the fact that, you know, he had a whole childhood outside of the family dynamic that I knew about, um, that came before I came. Um, and so I think there was, I think he had some resentment towards, um, towards me and the fact that I kind of had a different life than he had. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that was a kind of a barrier to, to our relationship as I got a little bit older. Um, you know, he was not always the nicest to me, um, which is kind of yeah, a big yeah. brother, little sister dynamic anyways. That's to be right. expected. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I got older and we, you know, he was obviously deeper into his addiction issues. But, you know, our whole family would pack up every single weekend to go see him in rehab. Like that's how. I got to spend every, you know, Sunday for like a couple of years until he would relapse and, you know, be out of that rehab and then on to the next one or whatever. Um, And, you know, during that time he was obviously sober and, um, you know, I loved him and he loved me. We were, you know, we're family. Um, Mm -hmm. But again, given our age difference, even at that point, you know, I'm a 13 year old, he's 23. Like, we're not going to have those. Um, we're not going to be able to relate, you know, on, on that, you know, closeness metric. He and my sister, on the other hand, were like thick as thieves. They are, were kind of, you know, tied at the hip there, most of their upbringing. Um, and even when he was struggling the most, she was definitely, um, the person that he, that was his go-to because he knew my mother wasn't going to, put up with his shit. Yeah. 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 Given the, um, what you both have disclosed and I would say whoever wants to answer first and you're talking, Kayla's, um, this whole topic is about grief. Did you grieve? Did you feel bad? Were you sad with the passing of your, brothers kate i mean i bawled my eyes out when i heard the news um i was i was sitting on the you know remember remember when everyone had like a family computer (laughs) 
Yes. <laughs> that wasn't a, like one that weighed 95 pounds and it was still a PC, yeah. the gray one. Yeah. yeah so yep. sitting at the family computer, just, you know, chatting with friends on, on AOL instant messenger. And my, yeah. <laughs> my dad walked up behind me and he put his hands on my shoulders and he said, um, you know, Gary's dead. And mm-hmm. I immediately, you know, cried. Um, but mm-hmm. I didn't want like a hug or anything. That's not really my style. I just kind of like sat there and cried for a while. And I was sad. Yeah. And like I said, my, you know, I remember everyone kind of lazing around the next few days and having little outbursts of, you know, crying together and whatever. And so mm-hmm. I certainly was sad. Um, and I'll still, you know, catch myself a few times a year thinking about him, seeing something that reminds me of him. Um and I'll start to cry. So I don't think you can say that um, I was not not sad or didn't, you know, yeah. I think I, you know, processed it in my own way. I've had some like, you know, real freaky, weird ghost moment things that have happened uh, over the years um, that always leave me a little shook, oh. but... Tell me more about, about an example of what you mean by All that, because right. I have a... I don't know if I have one, but go ahead. All right. Uh, let's see. It was only, it had only been about a year since he had passed. And I had a very, very, very realistic dream where um, mm-hmm. he had walked through the courtyard of our, our house. I say courtyard. It's like a garden. We're not that fancy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see him walking and I'm like, oh my God, he's alive. Like uh, I was right. He did fake his death. He's, He's living. Oh my God. And we kind of like run out to the, to the courtyard and he gives us a hug and he's like, I'm so sorry. I had to put you all through that. Like, um, this was just what I had to do to get out of, you know, he, he anticipated that he was going to be, you know, killed in, in prison. Um, and so I woke up from this stream that was very realistic to me, you know, I'm like sweating, crying, like little Mm -hmm. shook. But I get it will mm-hmm. get it together, and um, I was in college at the time, so we're walking to the cafeteria to get breakfast, and a red-tailed hawk flew from the left side of the path, literally hit me in the nose with its wing, and then and oh then went God. and perched on a tree limb. Huh. Um, and given my brother's kind of affinity for Native American culture and, and spirituality. The red tail mm-hmm. hawk was always my mom's kind of like sign for him. You know, a lot of people have like the cardinal is uh, um, sure. a symbol of someone who's passed on or whatever. Well, for, for her and for us, it's always been the red tail hawk. So mm-hmm. anyways, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> you just got bitch slapped by your yeah. brother. <laughs> yeah, but I had this like crazy dream and then I literally got hit in the yeah. face. Um, so I was kind of like, that was a super woo woo moment for me. I I think a woo woo moment. Yeah. No, no, no. I think that's amazing because the only, the the closest person that I've lost at, you know, at this point in my life is my grandfather and Kayla and I had this, the, this type of conversation many times, but, um, like the spirit, in, in my opinion, the spirit lives and, you know, I asked her like, has your brother come to talk to you yet like how is he going to talk to me like, in, in a dream I, I my grandfather within a month or two after he passed i had a dream um and obviously you know he was in it but he came up to me and he said um i'm proud of you 
you know, I'm okay, you know, take care of yourself. It, it was kind of like weird and like, you know, kind of, kind of the garden of Eden. Like dream of, yeah, life. Dr- so right, but, yeah. Like, but he spoke to me and I'm like, okay, that's how we, you know, stay connected with, with love. Yeah. yeah. See, I, you haven't had that yet. I haven't. I've, I vividly remember, and this was similar, except this dream was more nightmarish. It was just so unbelievably disturbing. And it was, the only dream I've ever had of Connor was, and I want to say this was about, I don't know, six months after he had died in the dream, he was alive. And this is a little bit gruesome. And he, I don't exactly remember the conversation we were having, but essentially it, we looked like we were in some sort of morgue looking place. And he said, okay, I need you and mom and dad to pick out the body bag for me. And that was the dream. I just, I, that was so fucking disturbing to me and I couldn't shake it. I couldn't shake it for a long time. Um, I, I never saw any signs of him after that. My mom was hysterical one day. She called me cause their TV is somehow connected to their phone. So if someone calls the phone and the TV's on, it'll show like the caller ID in the corner of the screen. Connor's number kept calling. And so on the TV screen, it kept showing that Connor was calling And my mom was like, how could this be possible? His phone was obviously disconnected and disposed of. And she made an offhand comment. She said, I just wonder if he's okay. And me and my dad were like, well, he's, he's dead. What what do you mean? And she said, I mean, up there, like, is he okay? And I just, I, my mom or my dad, for that matter, never struck me as people that kind of believed in that thing, I guess. We're not religious. But I'm wondering if you had any sorts of conversations like this with your parents at any point. Honestly, not really. And, and you know, after the whole, you know, his ashes coming home to us and, you know, we spent a few days, like, spreading them places or whatever, there's never really been much more talk um, yeah. mm-hmm. the only thing that ever really gets brought up is if someone sees a hawk, someone might make a comment. Mm-hmm. Oh, so okay. like, I think, I can't remember if it was Christmas or Thanksgiving, only a few years ago, um, we were all mm-hmm. together at my parents' house and, um, we looked, there's a big, huge tree and we looked out and there, there was a hawk that sat out there for like quite some time. And so there would just be a little mm-hmm. like, oh, like, you know, your brother's here or whatever. Um. But yeah. beyond that, you know, I I have been to some like psychic medium um like group readings and stuff, which I always, you know, I always cool. enjoy. Um, yes. but I have not yeah. actually had him come through at any of them, mm. you know, air quotes come through. Um, whatever that means. But um, you know, yeah. like John and I have been and we've had, you know, other people in our lives that have, you know, that the medium has is supposedly, you know, delivering us messages from, but um, he has never, uh, I've never gotten any like messages from hmm. him, any of those readings. Hmm. So Kate, you, you and me are pretty logical people. What, <laughs> we don't, what's your definition we of don't, logic? <laughs> we, <laughs> we don't subscribe too much. Woo woo. I can, absolutely see where people find comfort in it. Um, you know, my brother always kept a penny under the mat in the driver's side door of his car. And he always kept a penny in the left, 
like under the sole of his left shoe. And so there are times when I will see randomly a penny in a parking lot and the sun appears to be shining directly on this penny. And it's a little kind of tickle for me to say, oh, I wonder if that's Connor. So little things like that, I can see where they do make make people feel good. For more logical-minded people like us, you mentioned to me, I think it was in a text, that you have a almost, I don't know if transactional is the right word, but cold understanding of death and the afterlife. Can you elaborate? I'll try. <laughs> I guess I'm just not a person who finds value in being overly emotional. Like I've never found that that serves me in any way. It doesn't make me feel better. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't change things, especially obviously when it comes to death, the more you cry, it doesn't bring that person back. Right. Um, And so for me, wasting even a second of my, you know, precious time and, and even um, trying to think of the, the words here, um, you know, mental and social capacity on just wallowing in, in sorrow is just not a way I want to live my life. Um, yeah. So I don't know if that really <laughs> answers your question, but um, yeah, yeah, I just, uh, there are things that you can't change, right? There are things you can control in life. There are things you can't control in life. Death is obviously one of those incredibly uncontrollable things. Um, And Mm -hmm. I would just rather spend my energy elsewhere. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it really is something that's kind of fixed and a guarantee along with taxes. It's tax-free weekend here in Massachusetts, baby. Whoa. What does that look like? Why? Yeah, why? It's once a year. No taxes on huh. on one weekend a year. And so you can go make major purchases without without having to pay taxes on it. Sales tax. It's so, sales so tax. Reinvesting <laughs> the infrastructure of Massachusetts. So you basically. know what's funny? The Massachusetts price without taxes is probably just like what we pay for yeah, with, with taxes. taxes in Illinois. <laughs> <laughs> so expensive. In Ta- tax Massachusetts. What? Massachusetts. That makes that makes so much sense. That's hysterical. So do you believe in the afterlife? Because if we are, and this is my understanding, being someone that just Dylan's gonna roll his eyes when I say this, considers myself an atheist. You're not. I Dylan is convinced that I'm not an atheist, which that's a separate conversation. But if we subscribe to the idea that there are signs. Like, you know, a hawk means that your brother's watching or a hawk could mean that your brother's presence is there. Does that automatically assume that you believe in an afterlife, you think? Or reincarnation. Or reincarnation. I guess I haven't given it that much thought, to be honest. I mean, I I think it's definitely a comfort measure, like you were talking about with finding the pennies. Like, I think it, I, Mm. I'm certainly not a religious person um and so i don't believe we all you know go up to the golden gates and wear our white robes and yeah whatever (laughs) that is um i'd like to think that there is i think that brings comfort to people um but it's it's not something that i spend a lot of time thinking about or putting a lot of stock in yeah because again 
what what value does was does that serve? I mean, if we're gonna pass on, and even if there is an afterlife, will we be? Is there some degree of presence to experience the afterlife? Like that's where I just get really stuck. Is you know, I <laughs> when when I think about funeral arrangements and things, my first reaction is I'm gonna be dead. Who cares? I'm mm-hmm. not gonna know. I'm gonna be gone. You know, and then there are people, well, your spirit and the dignity of your your spirit and this and that. And I just, I'm, I'm unconvinced that I will ever be able to experience life beyond death. I just, I can't fathom something like that. And I've always, and I've talked about this a million times. I just struggle so much with imagery and things I can't see and feeling connected to these entities that you can't necessarily even understand. I just, I, I, that's why I feel like I don't believe in God or in the afterlife or anything like that. Dylan is um, stabbing me with his eyes. So please enlighten me as to what you're no, thinking. I don't think that you're an atheist. I think that you're more agnostic um, because you're talking about spirit. You're talking about, uh, or we have been, um, I have been like, I don't know if there's an afterlife, but um, spirit equals memory. So if you have a memory of someone, if you can place them in the room of of the past loved one, Mm -hmm. what would Connor do right now at this moment? What would he say? You can picture that. What does that have to do with God though? Nothing. It has nothing to do with God, but we already have this notion that, you know, we, we think about afterlife. What is an afterlife? There's no proof to it. Yeah, it's impossible to get proof. But you can't prove if it's not there either. Right. Kate, (laughs) any final thoughts as we wrap up here? What do you think? Have we touched? Have we missed anything? I think the only thing we didn't mention is just that, well, we did kind of mention that there's no right or wrong way to kind of deal with with someone's death. But um, I think there is a lot of judgment around it. Like, if you don't, if you're not you know, you're not sad enough. You don't seem upset enough or Mm -hmm. that person is so upset. They're, they're, you know, they're crazy. Um, and they're, you know, they need to be committed because they can't, Mm -hmm. you know, they can't even leave their home because they're so upset or, you know, there's so many kind of extremes and, Mm -hmm. um, there really is no normal. Yeah. Um, yeah. Everyone kind of, deals with it in their own way every whether that's at a cultural level i mean lots of different cultures deal with it in their own way and then Mm -hmm. right down to every individual kind of family unit where some plan funerals some Mm -hmm. don't um and it's kind of a i don't know it's an it's an interesting topic that i think deserves kind of more more um looking into uh i think it's more like uh, insight on how people yeah because i think we are just quiet. You know, we don't talk about it. We kind of shut down mm-hmm. during our grief. Yeah. And like like you said, Kate, some people just like they wail and they, you know, they bang their head against the wall because they're, for whatever reason. Um, yeah, it's just a different point of view that we should look into and respect for sure. Yeah, I remember people at work thought me and my family were crazy for going back to work within two weeks life doesn't of care. my brother. Yeah. Life doesn't care. And, you know, quite frankly, if Connor had lived here and we hadn't had to go back and forth between Florida, 
we probably would have been back at work within one week. I mean, it was just, we just, we're such a family that, that lives by life goes on. And that doesn't mean we forget or we're actively trying to necessarily suppress any of this stuff. But like you said, Kate, I'm what, there are bills that need to be paid that won't stop needing to be paid because Connor died. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just kind of a fact of life. And I, I do think it's interesting. The idea of what do we say to people who have lost someone, unless it's blatantly cruel. I can't imagine that there's a wrong way to go about it. Oh, Dylan. Yeah, no, no, no. We, we talked about this earlier, Kayla. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like are the, there's no words like, so, so, you know, someone that, that lost a loved one or a close friend and you say like, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry for your loss. Uh, there are no words. And that's, I think something that we were, I guess, raised or trained to say, just trying to be polite. But on the flip side, mm-hmm. that person's going to say, thank you. Right. I appreciate your thought. I mean, th- it's, it's just thought, a pseudo conversation. Like it's, it's just a being, makeshift right, dialogue yes, that doesn't yeah. necessarily mean anything. Well, I don't want to say it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Cause yeah. what else are you going to be? I oh mean, my it's God. A- it must suck like having to go through this. I'm, you know, yeah. Sucks to be you. Like, we're not going to say that. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm sorry for your loss. And then on the flip, like I said, the flip side, yeah. like, thank you for your yeah. showing up and your concern. And we move yeah. On. It is a weird kind of common courtesy that is just like ingrained in everyone. That's what everyone says. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for your loss. Like it just, it comes out. It's like a programmed robotic Mm -hmm. Hallmark, Hallmark card response. All cards. Yeah. All sympathy cards. Yeah. Well, this has been an enlightening conversation. And um, when all of us take our forever dirt nap, I wonder if we will, (laughs) Slide into the grave. <laughs> slide into what the grave. And, like that was a hell of a ride. And revisit any of this and say to ourselves, holy shit, guys, you remember, you know, 50 years ago when we were talking about what death would be like. We will find out. And listeners maybe. will never know. Or maybe not. Maybe not. Kate, thank you for joining me as usual. Thanks for having me. Dylan, thank you for. No, thank you. And Kate, thank you. I appreciate everyone. (laughs) (laughs) You hate crying. (laughs) On that note, we will see all of you next week. This show was produced by Pretty Easy Podcasts and made possible by listeners like you. If you ever thought of doing your own podcast, please visit prettyeasypodcasts.com.